All right, we're back. Another episode of the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. I'm Tokyo Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. And it is a beautiful day Sunny. in Tokyo. Yes. Live and from Shibuya. That's right. Nice, sunny Shibuya inside the mobile man cave. Old school, 20-year-old Chevy van in the middle of Tokyo. Hanging out, watching all these people walk by. And uh, it's just a, just a wonderful atmosphere today, man. Yeah, so we are a podcast that focus on the international community in Japan. And there's all types of people doing amazing, creative things here. And we like to highlight that. And that's what this podcast is about. Our guest today, he's also a part of that community. And before I introduce him, I just want to say that, you know, before I started this podcast you know i had the idea of doing this podcast and you know i needed a you know i wanted a host and then that's when i got buddha to join me to do the podcast but you know i i kind of had an idea already of all the people i wanted to or some some of the people i wanted to have on the podcast because i've been mingling in, in the international community for a while you know and so when i when i started this i was just like yeah i want to interview her i want to interview him and the, our guest today, um, he was he was a person that I wanted to have on the podcast. It's taken a few years. Well, we, we've been doing it a year, but it's taken a while to get him on. He's a very busy guy, travels the world. And um, yeah, again, introduce yourself. All right. Well, my name is Steve Marshall. Um, I've been living in Tokyo for 21 years now. It's been my home. And I'm a magician and a mentalist, mind reader. Uh, and I... I travel all over the world. I mean, basically, for the last 21 years, I'd say 90% of my shows have been in the Tokyo area or around Japan. Uh, but I've traveled a lot around Asia. I'm kind of like the foreign guy. I'm the, the, the magician that, you know, they can fly me over there in a couple days instead of having to bring somebody from, you know, the States. Uh, they love to introduce me from everywhere. If, they, if I say I'm from Florida, they say, Miami, you know. But they love to say from Las Vegas, they love to say from New York, you know, wherever. It's like, all right, whatever, you know, just pronounce my name right and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay. And uh, so, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. And that's really, that's all I've ever done my whole life. So for 30 years now, I've been a professional entertainer. And uh, we can talk about some of the turns that's taken through my career. But um, basically, I've been a magician. Aloha, this is Brother Motes Music, and you're locked in to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Yeah, you. What are, like, some reactions you get when you tell people you're a ma magician? Well, I, I use this actually as a joke in my show. The top three responses I get, you know, I say, I'm at a party. You know, I say, hi, I'm Steve. I'm a magician. And they go, oh, yeah? Number one, can you make my wife disappear? Whoa. Uh, they say that a lot, you know, which now I'm getting more, <laughs> can you make my husband disappear? So they're, oh. <laughs> they're getting back. Uh, they say, can you teach me a trick? You know, how do you do something or how do you do that trick? And then and my favorite one, I get this most of the time, and this shows you how not normal my profession is. I'll say, hi, I'm Steve. I'm a magician. And they go, oh, yeah, what instrument do you play? <laughs> and I go, no, oh. magician, not musician. Yeah, and I've yeah. talked to my musician <laughs> friends, and not a single one of them have ever been asked to do a card trick when they said they're a musician. You know, so, so it's just like they they hear. Well, they can't imagine they can't, that somebody yeah, just said, register. "I'm a magician." Yeah, you know, and it's like that reaction is so great. Yeah, and I is. love yeah. that reaction. It's like you're you're a what? 
you know? <laughs> and then a lot of people, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too. A lot of people go, oh, that's nice. Or if the question is, how do you make a living? Not what do you do? If the question is specifically, how do you make a living? Oh, I'm a magician. I'm a professional magician. They go, oh, that's nice. But how do you make a living? <laughs> I get that yeah. a lot, you know? And that's kind of a thing with a lot of magicians and entertainers you know there's the old joke in new york city where you say i'm an actor and they say oh yeah what what restaurant do you wait tables at you know oh. my, my actor <laughs> friends get that all the time and it's just a thing that you know it's it gets annoying you know it's sometimes because you want to go look i you know i bought a house and put my kids through college or you know I'm, but you don't say that you know you realize that people just don't understand they don't get it you know that you can actually make a living at something that's so strange like that, exactly. which which actually in recent years, you know, as I mellow in my old age a little bit, you know, it's like it's something that I take as a compliment. And I love that fact that I've been able to do what I love for my entire life, that I found my passion when I was eight years old, when I got a magic kit for Christmas and that that's taken me around the world. You know, doing card tricks. Who would have thought that, man? You know, exactly. yeah. And it's like I we talk about it a little later, but I love I love quotes. And Bob Dylan said, "If a man wakes up in the morning, and goes to bed at night, and in between does what he wants to do, he's a success." Oh, that's awesome! That is awesome. I like so, that one. You know, it's it's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's about doing what you love and being happy and doing what you want to do. And, and I, I just love it, man. Just going against the grain of society and, yeah, being a magician, man. Traveling the world and, yeah, like you said, it's just, wow, that's just so... You know, I, I like when people break rules or break norms, you know, and, and, and show that they can still be successful. That, that's just so cool to me, man. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, though. I read a thing one time that said 90% of people have admitted to lying what they do for a living at parties to be more interesting. Oh, right? really? So I, I decided to do that one time, you know? So it's like I went, some, somebody said, what do you do for a living? Well, when I say I'm a magician, you know, they always say, well, do a trick, which I love. I'm always ready to do something. I don't mind, you know? But so one time I went, I'm going to lie about what I do for a living see what happens. What do you do? Well, you know, if you're a magician, what do you lie? What do you, how do you? So I said I was a proctologist. Yeah. Whoa. And, yeah, nobody wants to shake your hand after that. That's what I've wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guys kind of tighten up in the little bit. It's like, whoa, No, but it, it's just it's just funny that, you know, they say people lie to make themselves more interesting. And, and um, you know, for a while, I mean, I've always, seriously, I'm always ready to do something. I've always got a deck of cards or I can do something with a handful of coins or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, hey, we, we, you can do a trick for us, man. I will then, a little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I started wondering one time, um, if I use this as a crutch, is this something that I use as a crutch? So this, back in my early 20s when I was living in New York City, uh, I decided to stop carrying stuff around in my pockets and not do anything. You know, and if somebody said, can you do a trick? I go, oh no, that's my, that's my job, I'm not working right now, right? And what I realized was that people were disappointed when I did that. And I was, and I wanted to do it too. I loved doing it, but I was doing it to prove some point, you know, that I didn't need this stuff to, to talk to people, right? And uh, about that time, Sammy Davis Jr. passed away. And Sammy Davis Jr. in the show business world is my idol. That guy, he could do everything. He was, 
he wasn't a singer. He wasn't a tap dancer. He wasn't. A, he was an entertainer. He was an entertainer. And Absolutely. that's what's amazing, right? So I'm listening to this radio station, WNEW in New York City, and they AM station, driving around my Volkswagen through Brooklyn when I was living there. <laughs> Shout out to Brooklyn. And, yeah, late at night, and they were playing all my these home. interviews with Sammy Davis Jr. And Sammy said, you know, he says, if I'm at a party and somebody doesn't ask me to sing or dance or do something, I'm offended because I love to do that. And I want people to ask me to do that. I went home that night and put a deck of cards back in my pockets. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like going, if it's good enough for Sammy, I'm ready to go. You yeah, know? Yeah. Now, going back to line, you know, what you do, you know, uh, for a living to impress somebody. Come on, Steve. You never like lied to pick up a girl or something. Tell her, well, yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm working at a law firm or something like that. You I said I was a magician. Yeah. And, and I mean, what did know, they say? I mean, you know. Yeah, it doesn't work as much as oh, I it does. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. You know, it's funny. I get that all the time. Guys, I'll be doing magic tricks. And they'll go, man, if I could do magic tricks like that, I'd be picking up girls all the time, you know. And I went, nah, you'd be hanging out in the corner with your buddies doing card tricks with each <laughs> other. You know, that, that's what magicians do. We're big old nerdy geeks, you know. It's like. <laughs> But it is what it is. But people do love it, you know. And, and um, just recently, actually, somebody said to me, they, they, I was at a party doing some magic trick, and this girl said, oh, women must fall in love with you all the time. <laughs> I'm like going, well, if I don't know if it happened. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so it never, like, worked for you, or, or girls were impressed and they wanted to, like, go home with you or something like that? or and They just want to see more card tricks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, you know, it is, it's a funny thing. Magic is, um, I did a TEDx talk a while back. And yes, I talked we, about, we watched that. Yeah, yeah we uh, watched it, yeah. I talked about the moment of astonishment, being astonished in your life. And there was this magician, was still is a magician, named Paul Harris, who wrote this book uh, called The Art of Astonishment. And he talks about the moment of astonishment, um, which I've somehow paraphrased as the moment of wow. I would call it the moment of wow for years, and I would talk about this all the time. And I finally met Paul Harris, and I said, oh, I love what you wrote about the moment of wow. And he goes, uh, actually, it's the moment of astonishment, but I kind of like the moment of wow better. You know? <laughs> and it's that moment when, when you're doing a magic trick, when their hand opens up, and they've got two coins in their hand when they thought you put one in there, or when the girl appears out of the box, or whatever that magic. There's, there's, in magic, there's a setup. You know, there's all this thing setting up to it. And then there's that, that moment when the magic happens. And that's when this little, what, what Paul said is when all the stuff that you've built up in your mind over the years falls away and your childlike wonder is exposed once again. Mm -hmm. But then your mind starts going into, well, how did you do it or whatever? And that stuff starts stacking back up. And that's why people always go, do another trick. Can you do another one? So that's what happens. You know, it's like when you start doing it, you're actually giving somebody this this little high for a moment, you know, this moment of wonder and astonishment that they, they don't get in their everyday lives. So mm -hmm. people want to see another one, you know, and people say, when they say, how does it work? I always say, I, I can't tell you cause it's magic. And if you get somebody who presses it, you know, and go, why won't you tell us whatever? And I go, well, cause seriously, you don't want to know because it's not as romantic and as cool and whatever it is in your in your mind, if I showed you, I, I always tell people, I say all magic, every magic trick in the world, whether it's a floating woman, a disappearing elephant, or a card trick, it works with duct tape and a paper clip. Wow. <laughs> no, you know, it's yeah. just yeah. it's just something very simple, um, but it's something that I've practiced, you know, for 30 years to be able to 
to not show that to create the wonder. Exactly, exactly. And, and you also worked with the circus, right? Yep. I was with a circus called Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus, yes. which is the... Who doesn't know that? Well, yeah. if you're from the States, you Yo, know yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, from the States, you do. It just... How, how did you, like, so, okay, you know, you realized you wanted to be a magician at eight, you said, right? Okay. And, yeah. And, and you know, guess you kept doing that as a kid. And then where do you get to the point to where you want to do it professionally and you act on that? And well, then, yeah. Well, yeah. Real, a real quick, real quick timeline yes. is eight years old, I get a magic kit for Christmas. It was a TV magic kit. And there was this guy named Marshall Brodeen that would show the TV magic cards on TV. And he'd say, it's easy once you know the secret. And I would see that as a kid. And I wanted to, to have this kit, right? Um, sadly enough, Marshall Brodeen just passed away yesterday. He was 84 years wow. old. And I just found out last night. And I put a post on Facebook saying it's not an understatement to say that I owe this man my life and my career uh, because what he did that magic kit that I got for Christmas it transformed an eight-year-old kid who was shy who was overweight I was the fat kid in school I was a kid that got picked on I was a kid that got bullied I was a kid that got picked last for all the sports teams I didn't really like school because of that right but then I I started doing magic tricks and now I had something that nobody else could do. And uh, it really broke me out of my shell. And it really, uh, a lot of magicians have that same story. You know, it's just an amazing thing when you realize that you can impress people and, and have fun and, and give them these moments of astonishment, which, of course, grew in me over the years, that feeling. So I was eight, started doing magic in, in elementary school and junior high school. Um, by the time I was in Last year, junior high school, I was doing birthday parties, kids' birthday parties around town. I was actually making money, you know, doing magic. So now it's like, oh, wow, I can make, you know, I was making 10, 15 bucks for a birthday party. But that mm -hmm. was, I was, people were paying me to right. do what I wanted to do, what I loved to do. Um, and then when I got into high school, uh, I grew up in a, a little town in Florida called Zephyr Hills, Florida. And it's a retirement community. There's 100 trailer parks there. So our population quadruples in the winter months they say the ah, snowbirds okay. come down you yeah. know the old retired people that have houses up north they come down to stay in warm sunny florida for the winter time so they would hire me to do all these shows for these trailer parks there was no entertainment in town except me and my friend joyce who was a ventriloquist right so we got all the work right and um so about that time i joined a, a local a magic club there was a magic shop about a half hour from our house my dad saw an ad for this magic club, and I started going there. And that's when I met this guy named Corky, who's a clown. Who, um, Corky the Clown. Corky the Clown. <laughs> Grant Dozier is his real name, but his, his clown name was Corky. And he taught this Red Cross youth clown troupe. And so I took that for the summer, and Corky really took me under his wing. And he liked magic. He did magic, so he taught me about magic. But he taught me about the clowning. And now, clowning, talk to you about the clowning. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's an art. I mean, people, there's all this stuff about clowns now, but you know, real clowning is a is a true art, and it's something you have to really practice and rehearse. And uh, you know, it goes back to the days of you know Charlie Chaplin was yes. a clown, mm -hmm. you know, and Charlie Chaplin is still relevant today because he was a silent comedian that can entertain people. With, 
language means nothing. There's no language barrier to Charlie Chaplin. Anybody can watch him and laugh. It's the human condition. And that's what clowns do is they tend to make you look at your own life in a ridiculous kind of way and see your problems as being humorous, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I learned about clowning. And of course, right off the bat, it was a business thing for me because now I could build myself as a clown and a magician. Now I could get the birthday parties that wanted clowns and magicians, right? Um, And then Corky encouraged me to apply for the Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Clown College. They had a a circus school, a clown college. And, uh, man, I literally had all my eggs in one basket. All my little red noses were in one basket on that one because I, I applied for that college in high school and I had, I didn't know what I was going to do if I didn't get in. I remember sitting in class one day sweating going, if I don't get into clown college, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life, you know? Um, and then my guidance counselor pulled me in on college when their guidance counselor, college day, talk about colleges (laughs) And he reaches in. He goes, I've been waiting for years to give somebody this application. He opens up his drawer and he pulls out the application to Clown College, Ringling Brothers, right? And I'd already sent mine in, I told him. But it was like he was just so happy that he could give that to somebody. And and then it it happened. I mean, I, I got accepted. And there was... The odds are not in your favor. 2,000 oh. people applied the year that I went to Clown College. Okay. 2,000 applications. My college was 50 people. 50 people were accepted out of 2,000. Wow. And then the whole thing with the Clown College is your, it's kind of the end of it. So show is a big audition trying to get on the circus on Ringling. You want to be a clown on Ringling. So out of my class... Only 11 of us were given contracts to actually go on the road with the circus that year. So 2,000 to 50 to 11. And I was, and then I went on the show. And when you get on the big show, we call it the big show, uh, that's when your education really starts. Mm. You know, Clown College is only two and a half months. So what, what are you doing at, at Clown College for two months? What are you... you get up in the morning. Uh, you go into class. The first thing you do is you put your makeup on. <laughs> and, and a clown's makeup is his trademark, his or her trademark, right? Every clown has to have their own unique. Uh, and there's actually a registry in England where they paint the faces on ostrich eggs. Huh. And it's like there. It's like kind of your registered trademark, right? And I have an ostrich egg that's in the <laughs> museum. It's kind of cool. Uh, so we put our makeup on first thing in the morning because when you got on the circus, sometimes you'd have three shows a day. So you had to go in put your makeup on in the morning and you had to have it on all day long, you know? So you had to learn how to eat in it. You had to learn how to touch it up, you know? Uh-huh. It's like, so it was, a, it was a big deal. Um, so you get on, you get your makeup on and you would then have, we'd have arena choreography lessons because there were production numbers in the circus. We had to learn certain dance steps and you got to figure an arena. I played Madison square gardens twice in New York city, you know, and you got 10,000 people in these arenas and you got to learn how to play to that top row. You know, they would always say you're, you're learning how to play to the back row of Madison Square Gardens. That mm-hmm. was the thing, you know. And to make it big but not sloppy. They call that spaghetti if you're moving around too much, you know. Okay. So then we'd have, we'd have juggling classes. We'd break up. We'd have, you know, we'd have all we, we all had to have dance class because that was part of the circus training, you know. But then we'd have juggling classes. Um, I was part of the magic group, the group of clowns that did magic. So we'd do, have magic. Uh, we'd have water spitting classes because <laughs> there were times where you get sprayed in the face with water. I and love you the curriculum. Spit it, you yeah. know, in somebody's face. And there was an art to that. You couldn't just go. 
You know, you had to go, <laughs> you had to spray the water so the spotlights would catch it. People oh. would see that water spraying, ah, okay. you know. We had pie throwing classes, learn how to throw a pie in somebody's face. Sounds unreal, man. This it, all sounds It unreal. was amazing, <laughs> you know. It was just a great, you know, a great time. It was unreal. It was surreal, you know. And then at lunchtime, we'd watch silent movies. We'd sit and we'd watch Chaplin and Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and, you know, it was just, and learn that physical comedy. So it was just, it was just immersion in comedy and, and the art of clowning uh, and everything that went along with it. Mm. So then you get to the big show. Then you get to the big show. Yep. And then you stand there and, you know, I'd been to the circus, you know, and the first time you stand in the arena, you're inside looking out at the, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about that because I remember that moment. You're going, oh my God, I'm here. I'm on the inside looking out now. And it's the most amazing feeling in the world. You know, you've, you've achieved this dream, you know. And, I mean, we were doing two, three shows a day, three shows on Saturday. Sometimes we'd have what they call six-pack weekends. A six-pack weekend was three shows on Saturday and three shows on Sunday, you know. And then as that last show on Sunday, because on Monday, the train, you'd, we'd travel to the next town. So as the Sunday night show's going on, as soon as you're finished with a gag or routine, you would run backstage and you'd pack that away and then go out and do your other routines. And you, because you were trying to pack so you could just close that trunk and put the lock on it as soon as it was done so they could load it onto the train and, you know, get out of there as soon as possible. You know, you got to figure in like three or four hours. In three or four hours, they would have that whole arena torn down, all the rigging that we had, all the trapeze, the high wire, you know, all the track rubber that they'd lay out on the ground, the thick rubber, it would, would all be gone in three, four hours, and that train would be on the road to the next, you know, on the tracks to the next town. Now, I was watching a movie, uh, and I can't remember, uh, I was, I was kind of, you know, I was drinking that night, and I was kind of going in and out when <laughs> yeah. I was watching it. But they had this, uh, you know, you know, listening to you now, I'm envisioning all of these train cars. Uh-huh. One train car had all the workers. Another train car had all the animals. Another Was it like that with Bartim? It was exactly like that. I lived on a train. I lived on a train for four years. And um, I was saying this van, I love this van. I love your man cave here. And uh, I was saying to Buddha when I walked in that, this van, now think about this, this van is about three times bigger than what my home was for four years on the circus, okay? My room on the train, my, my, we called them roomettes. My room was three feet wide, six feet long, and nine feet high. I had a bunk up top. Now, if I laid down and I stretched out, I'm exactly six foot tall, I could put my f- feet flat against one wall and touch my head to the other if <laughs> wow. I stretched out. Yeah. And that was, and I lived in that for six, for four years and, um, it's probably one of the happiest times in my life. Really? You know, I didn't have a lot to take care of. I didn't have a lot of possessions. I had a big window that when that train, you'd go to bed at night and when you wake up the next morning, you pull your shade up and you were rolling your America was going by and you were on train tracks, man. You know, you weren't on a highway you were seeing stuff, yeah. you know, a huge waterfall would go by or, wow. you know, Mount Shasta or, you know, just the different places. You knew what was coming and we could go out and stand on the vestibule, the space in between the cars and open up the top half the door 
and just hang out there and, you know, watch America roll by and go through little towns. And you're on the other side of the train tracks. You're on the other side of the crossing guards now looking out at people, waving at them, you know. Wow. When, the, when the circus played in New York City, uh, we were told that at, uh, at 6.30 in the morning, the train, the circus train, was going to go through Penn Station, you know, and just because we parked in Queens okay. and played the gardens. And uh, me and my buddy got up specifically. We wanted to see this, and it was, it was great. And we went really slow through there. It was the commuter tracks. Ah. And so we're, we're in our pajamas, <laughs> this huge circus train, and all these businessmen are standing there reading their newspapers, getting ready to go to work, and we're singing, tell us about the boy from New York City. You know, we're just giving them the show as we roll through Penn Station. It's the most surreal experience of my life. So in other words, as you were traveling, you, you, you guys, you know, because I could see that big logo, Ringling Brothers and Barnum yeah, Bailey Circus. the greatest show on earth. So you were, you were just, yeah, and the greatest show on earth. Uh-huh. And you guys were just astonishing people on the way. I mean, they were just like, whoa, yeah. there's Ringling Brothers. So you probably saw people, you know, show up with their kids and everything just to wave at the train. They would. They would, um, you know, we'd show up in towns and that was a big deal. People would come out just to see the circus train because then all the animals, the elephants and the mm-hmm. tigers and all that stuff, wherever the train was parked, they had to be walked to the arena. So they'd have the animal walk, which was a big parade. And in New York, they would walk right through the Queens Midtown Tunnel. Okay. They yeah. would have an animal walk, you know, and they had to do it at two o'clock in the morning. So all the elephants would walk through Queens Midtown <laughs> Tunnel, you know, and it was, you know, a big publicity thing. And, um, yeah, we'd come, off, we'd come off the train, and the thing was, our little scam was um, we, we, we had to find out where the, the laundromat was. We had to find out where the grocery stores were, right? And so the town people, we call them townies, they'd all be hanging out there, right? And uh, some of the guys and the working men and stuff like that, they had reputations for picking up girls. Get to a, a girl in every town, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Marshall, he had a huge reputation of picking up families. <laughs> I would pick up, I would get off the train with a bag of laundry and I'd get real sympathetic looking. I'd go, where's the laundromat? I need to do laundry. <laughs> Half the time, people would take me back to their house. You know, I'd have families. I'd have moms waiting with home-baked cookies, you know, outside the arena for me and stuff like that. So that was my reputation. I had, I picking had up families. families and I had so many great experiences and I met so many people, you know, um, all over the United States. And, you know, and, they got a free show, too. I'd go to their yeah. house for dinner, and I'd say, invite your friends over, and I'd do a magic show in their house, you know? So one of the Ringling Brothers clowns was there. So Amazing. it was great. I really enjoyed it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, go, going back to uh, clowning, right? So uh, a while back in the States, there was this whole thing with the scary clowns. Man. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what was that about, man? Well, it was, you know, it's the whole YouTube generation, which I love. You know I mean? It's, but the Internet stuff spread so quickly. And, uh, well, honestly, let me go back. It goes back way further than that because, you know, clowns, it's taking something and putting it in a situation where it shouldn't be. Now, there was a man named Lon Chaney Sr., the man of a thousand faces. His his son, Lon Chaney Jr., was the, the wolf man in the old 1950s werewolf movies, you know. Lon Chaney Sr., the master of makeup, and he was in movies in the 30s and 40s, right? And he had a theory called the clown at midnight theory. And this is, he said, this is what horror is. 
He said, it's going to the circus in the daytime and watching this clown. And he makes you laugh and you love him and you leave just loving this clown. He's the greatest thing in the world, right? That night at midnight, you hear a knock at your back door. And you go to your back door and that same clown is standing there. (laughs) Now, what you've done is the same guy. It's the same thing. But you've changed where he is. You've changed the environment. He shouldn't be standing at your back door at midnight. He should be in that circus ring. That's where you love him, right? Yeah. And when you think about horror movies, you know, it's like little kids are, you know, scary in movies, you know. But but you don't walk down the street and every time you see a scary uh, little kid, a scary kid, if you see a scary kid, yeah, you're on. But, you know, it's like it, it just got to be this thing where people, oh, I'm scared of clowns now because they're scary. Yeah. But because I saw this scary movie with a clown in it. Well, I saw a scary movie with a little kid in exactly. it going, Red Rum, Red Rum. And, and a doll. Think yeah. about Chucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah or Chucky, Chucky the, the doll, doll yeah. or yeah. Cujo, you know. Yeah, it's like, AI. I mean, I think Hollywood does a good job of, uh, you know, taking – these things and making them scary, you know, taking dolls, kids, clowns. It's it's just taking something and putting it in, AI. A, in a place where it's not supposed to be. Exactly. And that could be anything that's yeah. scary. You know, lawyers and dentists are scary to me. You know? yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And, if a dentist comes, you know, shows up at your house yeah, at, at midnight, midnight with the flyers, <laughs> I'm going to take you. Know, yeah. Uh, you ain't the tooth fairy. No, no. Yeah. Now, do you know about, because uh, I was trying to do a little research on this, cr- this scary clown thing. Um, Punch and Judy Punch puppet and show, because <laughs> w- when I read it said that this was like kind of the one of the early clown art archetypes, uh-huh. and uh, Punch was this like violent stick wielding character. <laughs> Punch and Judy shows are very and, and that's violent. actually they where the, the, the crap term, out of each other. And yeah. yeah, that's actually where the term slapsticks comes from, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah that, a, a slapstick is actually is two pieces of wood. Um, that are put together, if you can picture, like if you took two pieces of wood and then you put something in the handle to separate those pieces of wood. So then when you hit somebody, we used to use them in the circus. And um, when you hit somebody in the butt with it, those two pieces of wood, they clap together. So you don't have to hit somebody that hard, but it makes a really loud sound when that wood claps together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what a slapstick. And in the Punch and Judy shows, okay. Punch had a slapstick and he was okay. always hitting yeah. I guess Judy. I you know I haven't seen that many Punch and Judy shows, so I can't really talk about it. Yeah. You know what, what exactly the contents were, but I knew it was a bunch of hitting, and it was a very violent. You yeah. Know, thing. So according to what I read, they were saying that clowns were, I guess, in those times, were seen as like something like mischievous or on the edge of society. Yeah. Yeah. That type of thing. So going way back. Go, going know, way back. Going way so. back. Yeah. And but it's like you know. You guys probably grew up watching Warner Brothers cartoons, right? You know, yeah, with, yeah. with with the Roadrunner and the Coyote always falling off a cliff, and Daffy Dunk getting blown up when, and you know Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd shooting Speedy people, Gonzalez and, and yeah, yeah, it was they were those cartoons were so violent, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, but back then it was humorous. Yeah. I mean, it was just we we thought it was funny. The three I grew up on the Three Stooges, always hitting each other and poking each other in the eyes and stuff like that. What about um I mean it's not that way now. I mean things have changed, times have changed, but back in those days it I you know, you didn't see that as violent. You saw it as funny, yeah. you know? But uh in Living Color, Homie the Clown. Homie the Clown. Homie oh, don't yeah, play that. Oh, yeah. 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 Who was that Damon Wayans? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I used you, to love that you know, character. And, and and it's funny that hitting you mentioned people with that a sock. because uh I was uh, about, well, I'd say about maybe 10 years ago, I was re- reading an article where they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, 
the road runner and coyote uh it's not good for kids now because it's so violent and think this that and the other and i'm i'm kind of i'm trying to figure out that yeah to us it was humor why can't it be humor to kids these days i mean well i think i think society's changed mm. you know we're seeing these mass shootings we're seeing all this stuff and so now i mean when i was a kid I never heard about anybody walking into a school and shooting kids. I mean, that's insane. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and we're, we're about the same age. Yeah. Yeah. So back then, if if Elmer Fudd took out a gun and shot Daffy Duck and his bill went to the other side of his head, I had nothing to compare that to. Right. It was just it was it was funny. You know, it was just like, oh, that's fine. He, he put it in. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's more Donald than Daffy. But anyway, yeah. you know, but so but now you've got all this stuff in the news real stuff like that happening people going and shooting people so now it's not funny anymore it's like you can't you know you, yeah. it's it's too real you I know as i told people we grew up with eight guns in the house and uh when i got my butt kicked in high school i didn't think about grabbing a gun going to shoot up the entire school but let me ask you about uh you know I, i'm a i'm a fan of large animals uh-huh. you know i love big powerful animals and, you know, I love lions, bears, and, and, and all the, you know, oh watching my. their yes. movement and everything. <laughs> and so being on the circus, did you ever get to be around the animals or did you ever get to, to uh, hang out with the people who, who hung around the, you know, who handle the lions and the tigers and stuff like that? And what would, what what's their mentality? Because I'm thinking that, yeah, they're trained in this, that, and the other, but maybe one day that lion is going to say, you know, I'm tired of these ass whoopings, and I'm going to take a chunk out of you or something. It, it happens. I mean, it happened, you know, and, and there was always some new guy that would come on the show that, you know, didn't have all of his marbles and decided he wanted to pet the kitty and stick his hand into a, a lion's cage. And you, guess what? You don't do that. You know, they're, they're, they're wild animals. They're not domesticated. They're wild animals, right? Yes. Um, so you stay away from them. You know, you didn't mess with the animal, the tigers, the lions. You just stayed away. And uh, but the biggest thing with with a with a with a tiger is when a tiger pees, they raise their tail and they spray about 20 feet. (laughs) And we did a clown gag. I had to do a clown gag right in front of the tiger cage when they were setting the tigers up. And I had about three tiger butts facing me in the back. And the whole time. And if you get sprayed with that. You're not going to get your costume washed for about a week or two, right? You know, you can't because of the show, the schedule and everything. And it's, oh, my God, it smells like ter- It's just ammonia, right? Yeah. So, you know, that was my day. I was more scared of the tiger peeing on me than I was, you know, getting to bite me because I wasn't getting anywhere near him, right? But <clears throat> elephants, I got to ride an elephant every day for two and a half years, twice a day, three times on Saturday. And her, <laughs> wow. name, her name was Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. Jenny was my elephant, and uh, you know I would. Good old Jenny. I would put one foot on on her leg. She'd raise her leg up, and she would shoot me. She'd pick that foot up, and it wasn't like an elevator. It was like a rocket ship. They would shoot you up, and you'd land on top of the elephant, right? And uh, boy, that was the greatest experience in the world. Just to and and elephants do have memories, you know. And I'd bring her apples and stuff like that. I'd bring her apples. And the guy who was the, uh, the animal handler, Tyrone, a good friend of mine, Tyrone. he liked, he, he liked <laughs> Snickers bars. So I'd bring, I'd, every once in a while, I'd bring Tyrone a Snickers bar. I'd bring uh, Ginny an apple, right? And All these bribes and stuff, Steve. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to keep them happy, man. You got to yeah. keep them happy. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The animals and the handlers, you got to keep them happy, right? Uh, but it was it was a wonderful experience, you know. And anybody got 
Any uh, anybody got killed? Bad uh, accidents. I I saw. You know, the, the worst thing I saw was a, a girl fall falling out of a trapeze net. Like she one of the trapeze when they were coming down, she actually she didn't fall during the routine, but she actually bounced out of the net and hit the ground. Wow. And in the circus, um, if you're familiar with a song called The Twelfth Street Rag, The Twelfth Street Rag, an old ragtime show, a song. If that music started playing, that was the emergency number. Okay. And that meant the clowns, you grabbed whatever you had, you threw on whatever was laying around as a costume, and you got your butt out on the floor as quickly as possible because something had happened. Yeah. And your job was to take your mo- the audience's mind off what was happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the four years I was with the show, the five years altogether, I only heard it once. Okay. And when you hear it, you're like, holy crap. Mm. It's like, no, you don't know. Because you don't know what happened. You don't know what you're going to see when you go out there. You don't know what's happened. Mm. And we got out there, and this girl, one of the trapeze girls, was laying unconscious on the ground. Well, you didn't know if she was dead or if she, what had happened, right? Um, thank God she was okay. She was okay. knocked out. She mm-hmm. was, you know, she was fine. But, you know, the thing is, the show must go on. Right. Right? Yeah. And our job was to keep that audience happy. And no matter what you're feeling inside, you know, you go out there and you do the show. Now, was that like the clown's responsibility or just anybody in the... It was the clown's responsibility. You know, because I kind of noticed that when I... And, and I love watching rodeos because, like I say, I'm a fan of mm. big, powerful animals. Yeah. And I noticed a rodeo clown. Would you ever want to be a rodeo clown? I would not want to be a rodeo clown because those guys, that's a dangerous job because your job as a rodeo clown, um, those guys are like stuntmen. You know, they put, they put the makeup on to be clowns, you know, <laughs> to make it look funny. But, man, that's like the most serious job in the world, you know. If you enjoy doing that, you know, and they do, you know, these guys. But your job as a rodeo clown is to take the bull's mind off the rider that just fell off to keep him from getting trampled. Uh, So, you know, as soon as that rider falls off, the clowns go out and divert that bull's attention so they can get that, especially if the rider's been hurt and they need to get him out of there, you know, help him off. And uh, yeah, so they're just they're human decoys, is what they right. are. They're t- there's target practice for the bull. Wow. And those guys, those some tough guys, man. And they, but you know, they're professionals. And you know, it's it's it takes a lot of skill to look bad at something without really being bad at it, right? So it's like if you're you see a guy in a unicycle that's like going all over the stage and looks like he's about to fall off. Guess what? That guy's one of the most skilled unicycle riders you've ever seen in your life I could because imagine. he's not actually falling down. You mm, know? Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Now, so now that's what that's... what's the difference between, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's different clowns for different, pers- I mean, professions, different situations and stuff. Uh, what do you think about McDonald's? Ronald McDonald, is that, is, is, is he like, uh, let's say, does he do the clown's uh, service or as far as, uh, a positive image. Positive image, yeah. I, I think so. You know, and, and the Ronald, you know, I mean, it's, it's a corporate character. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot of friends who left the circus and became Ronalds. It was a great, a, it was, they just kind of discontinued it because there's all this, a lot of the scary clown stuff. There's still ah, a few yeah. people doing, they have them in parades and stuff. That sucks. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the, the regular um, appearances at McDonald's stores have been kind of cut out. Uh, which a lot of my friends lost jobs, you know, because that was really this whole scary clown thing kind of peeves me because a lot of my friends were losing work and people don't want to hire them for birthday parties. And it's just a 
and it's not what clowning is about. You know, clowns are full of love and they're they spread joy and they're very they're great people. But like I said, you know, it's just a few little bad things, things and, and for and some reason people pounced on that. And, and the movie and, it yeah. and you know, yeah, yeah. Don't get me started, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I would think that I would think that you know McDonald's would say, hey, uh, since the clowns are getting a bad image, let's uh, let's bring let's hire more clowns so we could so we could uh divert yeah, from that bad image. it was a lot image. of pressure and, and people yeah. were saying you know and then all clown of a sudden PR. well and yeah, also, yeah clown pr <laughs> there was more to it with mcdonald's i think um but you know ronald would make appearances at ronald mcdonald house and things like that for you know or kids that were terminally ill in, mm-hmm. in hospitals I, let me just tell you one quick story that sums up clowns for me okay, okay. when we were on the road with the circus they would ask they'd have publicity events and they would ask for clowns to volunteer to go to children's hospitals and I used to love to do that I used to love to go there and I had a doctor character I and I had this big stethoscope that had a big plunger on the end of it and because I did magic I I'd pull all these spring sausages out of kids ears or flour you know I'd say oh I know what your problem is you know and stuff I was this wacky doctor that would go into rooms and I would make these kids laugh you know, these kids, we'd go into intensive care units, and they were in pain. You know, these kids were in pain, and I would go in there and make them laugh, you know, and take their mind off it for a while. And I walked into one room one time as a clown, and the parents were sitting in there, and the kid had been in a car accident. And it had been a week that the kid had been laying there with no response. They had had no response from their 8-year-old, 7-, 8-year-old kid in a week and the parents were just devastated because they didn't know what was going on right and now this clown comes walking into the room you know and and they said oh you know don't you don't need to come in here because our kid has no response we haven't any response from him in a week and in situations like that i would usually turn the energy up something inside of me would go give more give more you know and so I went in, I kind of goofed around and I made a little balloon animal and set it next to the bed. And I said, bye-bye. And I left the room and something inside of me said, stick your head back in there and say goodbye again. And so I went, bye-bye. Stuck my head in, went out. I did this like four times and the parents were looking at me like I was an idiot. But (laughs) I mean, they were like, why are you doing this? But something inside of me, there was just something that said, do it one more time. And about the fourth time I looked in, maybe the kid was annoyed by that. I don't know what happened, you know, but the, you know, whatever it was, I said, bye-bye. And this little hand kind of just lifted off the bed and waved at me. And it was the first, I mean, the parents jumped up, the nurses came running in. I walked out of that room and actually sat down and started crying. I mean, it was like I had given something inside of me said, give everything you possibly can. And... I attribute that to being a clown, to being something different, being something magical, being something fun. I don't think Steve Marshall could have walked in there and did that. Steve Marshall as a clown, the clown character that I had, had that magical power and got that reaction from that kid, you know. Wow. And I left. I don't. I have no idea what happened after that, you know. But it was the first time in a week they'd had any response from that kid. So that's, I think, the power of a clown. I think they're a magical character that's able to give love and um, do things that other people can't. Yeah, before we get out of here, man, I, I know you got a show coming up, right? Yeah. Um, talk about that show, what, what, what it's about. Okay. Um, mentalism, a, right? Yeah, it's a mentalism show. Uh, the last couple mentalism? of years, it's mind reading and it's putting thoughts into people's heads and taking thoughts out of people's heads, you know? Hmm. 
uh, or at least giving the illusion, you know, that I can do that. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 um, it's being done at a place called Charlie Rose Speakeasy in Akasaka. Okay, it's my one man show. Uh, I've been going back and forth to um, the States for the last couple years, and I've been working out a lot of new material there. Um, I did a show two years in a row at an old mansion in Michigan uh, that this woman that was built for died six weeks after it was completed. And she, uh, we brought her ghost back, or created the illusion. She made a table float. Um, so I've been working on this new style. Um, my show for years has been comedy and clowning. This show still has comedy in it. It's, that's what's inside me. You know, you can't yeah. get around, I can't get around that. But um, it's more of an, ad- <clears throat> I say it's an adult show just because there's more storytelling. It's not jumping around and fun comedy. Um, there's a little more, it's involved. You know, there's more procedure, you know, going on. But it's really amazing, and uh, it gets great reactions from people. I'm really excited about doing this. It's going to be a lot nice. of fun. And that's going to be in Tokyo, you said? Yeah. Yep, in Akasaka. Akasaka. Now, now, one quick thing. I always thought mind reading was BS because nobody knows me better than I know myself. So what is the real definition of a mind reader? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of different things. You know, it's picking up different traits and different, you know, minute, you know, movements on people. And uh, actually, here, there's a paperback book sitting here. Just while we're talking... Open that book up to any page, and I'm going to turn my head, and just pick any word in the book. Just look, scan a page, but pick a really long word. Give me a challenge. Just get a nice long word that you can really sink your teeth in. So, okay? You got one? Okay, it's so, not super long. Well, but... as long as you can find. Okay, uh, you know. okay, I got it. All right, you got one? Close the book. Close the okay, book. Okay, right. the book is closed. Think of, think of all the letters, and if you can create an image of that word, create an image in your head. Okay. okay? Um, I'm seeing a... See, the way you're looking at me, you're keeping a very straight poker face. I love that, you know. Uh, you nodded a little bit. Your eyes, you, you blink just a little bit. I'm seeing a curved. See, I'm getting an image of something curved. It's like a curved surface or something. Does that make sense to you? When you think about it, a little bit, a little bit. Now, I don't know if it's the first letter or if it's the first. I'm seeing an S. Is that right? It could, it's the first letter of your word, an S. Oh, uh, it's not. It's not. But it's part of it. It's, it's part of it. There's an S in the word. There's, There's an S, an S in, the in the word. Okay. What's the first letter? If I can just ask you what the first letter of the J. word is. It's a J. Um, well, actually, there's not an S in it. Okay. But, uh, there's not yes. an S. Is the second letter an A? Yes. Um, you know, I just heard this weird kind of vibrating sound on the street. Is it something that could be used on the street? Yes. Like in construction? Yes. Is, this third, is it a C, K, yes. jackhammer? Is that the word you're thinking of? Damn it. Jack, is that it? Hey, I want you to edit this out of the podcast because I've been telling people mind reading is bullshit, but <laughs> Steve just read my damn mind. Jackhammer. So so in other words, people give off certain I, I guess you, you could say a mind reader is a person who's a very keen very keen on observation yeah it's it's there's a lot of going on you know i never claim to have any special powers and there's a lot of people out there psychics and stuff that prey on people you know and that's a whole another conversation Right. right um but you know, I, I can I give the illusion, you know, of being able to create these things and, that, and being able to pick up on observations and, and you know, being in front of an audience for thirty for thirty years, what people don't realize is I'm I'm watching you just as much as you're watching me, right? And I've learned a lot about just human behavior. That's why know? I sucked at poker because I couldn't keep a <laughs> poker face. When I got a good, a good hand, face. I was like, Oh yeah, the eyes you guys big, are in trouble. Yeah. Right. Uh, one quick thing though. You have two daughters. Yes. Your wife, 
your two daughters. What? I wonder what it's like. I mean, they're not here, but I wonder what it's like growing up with a dad like you. You're a comedian. You're, you know, is this you like 24-7 or is this like, or when they see their dad is like, oh, God, here's my dad. He's going to embarrass us. You know, wonder what is, you know, I would, I would like to. Yeah, what it would be like. He's going to do another trick again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or at the dinner table. Yeah. Gonna... yeah. No, well, you know, they're my first audience, right? Mm. When, I'm, when I'm coming up with something new, they're my kids and my family are my first audience because I need to try it out on somebody because you, you can only practice it in front of a mirror for so long if we have to show it to somebody. And uh, my kids, when they were little, i do something, you know, you'd, you don't know. You don't, with magic, it's about angles. And, you know, I, I think I've got it right and I might not, you know. And uh, so my kids would go, well, yeah, it was, that was okay. I go, well, did you see something? Oh, a little bit, you know, and I'd go, okay, well, no, if, if you saw anything at all, you have to tell me, right? Well, now they're brutal. <laughs> now if they say, oh, no, that, was, that wasn't good, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I need, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, they, it's, I'm really happy. You know, my, my daughter was just in a play last night in Tokyo, and um, my youngest daughter, she loves doing design stuff, and, and she wants to work for Disney, and, and my oldest daughter wants to be an actress, right? And I love seeing my influence. I love seeing the influence that I've had on them um, growing up in a home, you know, with a father who didn't have a regular, you know, job, yeah. you know. Um, when they were little, we, we watched cartoons as, as much as we watched Chaplin films and, and Laurel and Hardy and all the old movies. And my, when my daughters were really little, I think one of the biggest compliments I got, my, my oldest daughter, Claire, said, Papa, I'm happier, my Papa. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, well, because you watch cartoons with us. <laughs> and I said, doesn't everybody's dad do that? And they went, no. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I like hanging out with my kids. I'm, I'm happy that they are proud of what I do. Um, they are happy. I'm, I'm very, if we're out in a situation, you know, I'm not constantly doing magic tricks. I don't do it unless somebody asks me to. But like Sammy Davis Jr., I'm a little bit offended if they don't ask me to. You know, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I want them to. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. But I'm. They've had a unique, unique upbringing, and I'm very, I'm very happy for that. Oh man, yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome yeah. When I watch cartoons with my daughter, be like, okay, hold on. Why you got to oh, hold on? I got to see what, what, what the football score is. Okay, I'll be back. Oh, yeah. Well, see, now I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'm watching the cartoon. I'm taking notes going, oh, I can use that in my show. <laughs> so I was a tough dad to watch cartoons with during football season. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, man, one, it was cool, though. Yeah, one last thing, man. Um, your favorite quote, right? Well, first, well, well, two two things. Talk about the book real, okay. real briefly um, that you have. And give me your, yeah, give me your favorite quote. Okay. As well, well. W one of my passions for the past few years has been photography. I've, I've, you know, for years I've done, I like artwork. I like creating things. I did stained glass for a while. I've painted. Um, I make a, I make an award every year. I just made the ninth one that's given to a Broadway producer every year. It's kind of like the, you know, like the Tony Awards just for a producer. And I make the actual painting, the award that's given to them. That's this hanging, I've seen my painting hanging next to Grammys and Tonys and, you know, nice. the awards and their trophies, you know, rooms. Um, but then I, I started photography because it's a, it's a, I can go anywhere. You know, I don't have to set anything up. I can go anywhere with my camera. 
So I decided to make a book because I love inspirational, motivational quotes. So last December, just last year, I, I published this book that's available on Amazon.com or Amazon.co.jp called Turning the Pages. Got it right here. Yeah, Buddha, Buddha just bought a copy. Yeah, too, thank so. you, Buddha. I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, and I'm looking at my birthday quote, okay. and I love it. Yeah. There's 365, there's actually 366 pictures because I put one in for leap year for gotcha. when there's a February 29th, you'll have one. And then I, I linked up, I tried to make the quote match the picture. And all the pictures are my original photos I've taken mm -hmm. in, in my travels around the world. And I've matched the uh, quotes up as best as possible with them. Um, and it's just meant to, to give you a little inspiration. It's just a quick read. You read it once a day, keep it by your bed. Um, and I've always loved daily reader books like that. I have one that I've been reading for 30 years. And I decided to make one of my own. And uh I read it myself. Nice. I, know I read it every day, and I've gotten nice compliments from people who have bought it. That they, one of the, I just read a review on Amazon that somebody said it's an easy way to put a little joy in your life every day. Yeah. And it was like, well, I couldn't ask for anything more than that. Yeah, that that's was the goal, right? That's what I yeah. want. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. So your favorite quote? Um, my favorite quote. Oh, well, I love the, I love the, the. Um, the Bob Dylan one that I said earlier, you know, if a man goes to a man or woman, you know, wakes up in the morning, goes to sleep at night and in between does what they want to do. They're a success. Right. That's a great one. I love um, that one. And I love uh, another one. I just I can't remember who said it is, is uh, you you'll stop worrying um, about what other people think about you when you realize how little they do. You know, everybody's <laughs> yeah, got their own so problems. You know, we all wrapped up in ourselves. We're always worried. What do they think of me? But yeah. chances are they ain't thinking about you. They're thinking about their own problems exactly. or whatever they got going on in their yeah. life. So, you know, just take it easy. Enjoy life. Be astonished every day and and go out there and do what you love to do. You know, right. even yeah. if it's a hobby. You know, I, I, I tell people, you know, um, you can affect people. You know, it's like if, if you like to play guitar, you know, I, I, I play guitar a little bit. And I, my, and ukulele, and now my daughters play ukulele and guitar a little bit, and they sing, and we started this little family band. You know, we don't go out and perform anywhere, but it's, it's, it affects our household. You know, we have fun. We sit around and sing, and we play and, and do stuff. So, you know, just even if it's a little hobby, take something that's a passion of yours and just affect the people around you with it. It's yeah. just it's contagious, and you never know where that's going to go. That, that's what we would like to do with this podcast, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, that... I'll read a quick a uh, quick co uh, quote on my birthday, July 1st. You are a mirror of yourself and others. Whatever you want, give the best reflection of yourself by Karen A. Bakarian, Bakarin or something like that. So I'm going to be looking up more of her quotes. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, All thank right, you. Man. Thanks for buying it, man. Baby. I appreciate yeah, it. This has been yeah. great. I love this. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah, man. yeah. Thank you for coming, spending a little time in our cozy. I love man. it. Uh, I could live here. I'd be happy living here. This is three <laughs> times bigger than my room on the circus train. Yeah, but not quite as big as uh, your Las Vegas crib, right? No, I mean, man, the, the that was sweet. That, that, yeah. that, that, it was a sweet, sweet. It was a sweet, <laughs> sweet, yeah. sweet, sweet. All right, do your social media real quick and before we get out of here. Yeah, yeah, most okay. definitely. Yeah. My, uh, my uh, Instagram page is Steve Marshall Magic. Uh, my homepage is stevemania.com. It's like Beatlemania, but Steve Mania, S T E V E. M-A-N-I-A, -A, Steve Mania, and that has all my links on it. Uh, my YouTube channel, where you can actually learn some magic. I have 25 easy magic tutorials and bar bets and things like that, is uh, youtube.com slash bannerline, B-A-N-N-E-R-L-I-N-E. -N -N -E. Think of a line of banners. So, um, yeah, please check that out and subscribe because uh, 
some I've got some weird music videos, songs that I've written up there, just a whole bunch of stuff. B A Clown. B A Clown. My yeah. song B A Clown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a good yeah. one. Yeah. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Most definitely, man. All right. it's, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure, guys. I've thanks. I'm glad this finally worked out. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. You're a busy dude, yeah. man. Yeah. You know, you you know, you you Well thanks for yeah, having yeah. me. Nick, you know, I'm looking, you're in China, you're you're everywhere. All right, that's it from the Mobile Man Cave, the Royal Every Mobile Podcast. Peace out. Peace. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Roar Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbean.com. Or you can head straight to Google and type in Roar Urban Mobile Podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.